Informant podcast should not be interpreted as legal advice and are intended for general information purposes only. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the fourth episode in Burr Informant's podcast series that's devoted to labor and employment issues. We're really glad that you decided to tune in, and we hope we can continue to give you all useful information and practical ideas to consider as you navigate through all the challenges that uh, COVID and 2020 has created for us all. My name is Katie Willis, and I am a partner in Burr and Foreman's Mobile office, where I focus on labor and employment matters. Um, I defend employers in discrimination litigation, but I also provide advice and counseling and training on things like leave, accommodation, OSHA issues, um, and I also conduct investigations. So the full gamut of all that probably you all as human resource professionals or business professionals are dealing with in the workplace. For those who don't know a whole lot about our firm, Burr is a 100-year-old full-service law firm with one of the largest and most experienced labor and employment teams in the region. We've got depth, really expertise in all areas of labor and employment law. Our new podcast series was the result of the culmination of numerous webinars and articles that our labor and employment team has created over the last few months and requests by you to sort of condense and consolidate that information. I'm excited today to be working with my partner in the Labor and Employment Group, Emily Mack. Emily? Thanks so much, Katie. Glad to be here today to talk with you about these important issues. I am uh, another partner in the firm's Labor and Employment Practice Group. Much like Katie, my practice focuses on both litigation um, and defending employment claims and also advising employers and trying to avoid employment disputes and, and litigation. Um, in the previous episodes in this series, you have heard from other attorneys in our LE team that they've touched on things like workplace culture, following CDC guidelines, employer liability, and some of the potential lawsuits that we see on the horizon as occurring related to COVID. Today, we are going to take a deeper dive into one issue that I know has been, that, that I've been dealing with a lot lately with my clients. It is related to the enforcement of face coverings for employers and employees and also for customers. Um, we're going to focus on employment issues, but I think this also touches on the issues that our, our clients face and how do we enforce these issues and, and face mask mandates when it comes to our customers, our visitors, our vendors, um, and the other individuals that are engaging in our work environment. Katie, I'll turn it back to you. Thank you, Emily. And much like you, I've had many a question from many a client over different industries about issues pertaining to face coverings and face masks. So if you all out there are listening or struggling with that or have struggled with that, please rest assured you are not alone. Just so you know, today, as we're recording this, Alabama for our Alabama clients has extended their safer at home order, which mandates the use of masks when social distancing is not possible until October 2nd. So a very timely issue across our footprint. I think we should jump in and talk first about the definition of a face covering. Not all face coverings are created equal. When we say face covering, that does not cover the full gamut of what that can mean. What does the CDC say about this? The CDC's definition states that a face covering should be something that goes behind the ears, is able to be secured over the nose and the mouth, and have two pieces of cloth material. Sounds simple enough, right? But this is different. And how is this different from things like respirators, 
face shields that we've seen pictures of teachers wearing now in some schools restart, and other personal protective equipment, or PPE. Well, the CDC's definition is a little bit different than a respirator. A respirator obviously has a very specific purpose in a workplace. OSHA guidelines may very well and will apply to the use of respirators, including who can use a respirator, whether someone has to be fit tested in order to be able to use that respirator, maintenance and upkeep of the respirator that may impose requirements on employers to make sure that they're kept in good working order, and ongoing respirator training. Common sense, practical use, respirators are going to be used in some of the more dangerous manufacturing type environments, industrial environments. They may be used in some healthcare environments. The workplace environment is going to dictate whether a respirator is necessary. And I would advise clients to definitely look at CDC guidelines, but also consider OSHA guidelines if you're considering a respirator, it's not just as simple as handing an employee a respirator and saying, here you go. With regard to face shields, a face shield is a little bit different than a face covering as defined by the CDC, just because a face shield is not something that necessarily covers the mouth. It's going to cover more of the face. We've seen some of that. And face shields, face coverings are not created equal. There are some face coverings that are just simply designed for the purpose of covering the face. There are others that are just, that are more for safety purposes, like someone such as a welder would wear. Um, and then there's other forms of PPE that may be out there to cover the face for different purposes. So when we're talking mask and face coverings, we're talking about a lot of different things, but I think both Emily and I would encourage employers to consider your particular environment, consider any safety guidelines, whether it's OSHA, your state OSHA agency or safety agency, if it's healthcare, healthcare guidelines of what, what is required, for certain environments. And we, when we have these discussions about face coverings, consider those general requirements that you would have, whether in, in COVID times or non-COVID times, when we are talking about what is required as we are navigating this pandemic. Emily, I'd, I'd be interested in hearing your, your thoughts and we can talk briefly about what laws are, are, are being Implicated by face masks, generally one of the big ones that I don't think, you know, I've mentioned OSHA, but one of the big ones I think that people don't realize is the Americans with Disabilities Act. Yeah, absolutely, Katie. And, and we'll definitely get into the some of the ADA implications here in just a second. I just want to, you know, kind of confirm um, and, and circle back on one of the points, which I think, you know, one of the main distinctions here, the face coverings, which is, you know, the kind of a cloth face mask that we are seeing in the majority of workforces right now that are not, um, you know, classified as, as medium risk or certainly high risk under the OSHA regulations. Are those considered to be PPE as that term is, you know, understood in OSHA regulations or are those just something that OSHA is encouraging um, all employees to be wearing right now? That's a great question, and I don't think they're necessarily going to fall under the definition of PPE. I do know from speaking with some OSHA officials that I talk with on a somewhat regular basis that obviously OSHA is monitoring the usage of masks. They haven't been going out for most of our clients in force to investigate on-site just because of COVID concerns, but they have been investigating our mask being enforced is social distancing being enforced? Any additional thoughts on that, Emily? 
And that's exactly my understanding, right? You know, that, you know, the big thing we have to keep and remember with PPE is if it's PPE, then, you know, the employer has the obligation to provide it at no cost to the employee and also to maintain it. And there's a whole slew of other regulations that come into effect, you know, particularly when you get into things like respirators, as you mentioned. Um, and so the main takeaway I think here is the surgical face masks, the respirators are, you know, kind of considered to be the PPE where these face coverings that most of us are now being subjected to wearing even outside the work environment are generally not going to meet that definition, but still definitely encouraged and mandated in some places. So I think we'll turn kind of back to the, the laws and, and rights that are implicated by wearing face masks and you know, I think the primary one that's been coming up um, in my practice and, you know, would love to hear your thoughts on it as well is going to be the Americans with Disabilities Act. And that's the one, of course, it's, you know, we have different titles that protect both not only employees, but also any business that is a public accommodation is open to the public and offers services to the public. There are also ADA implications with that that normally come up when we're talking about physical accessibility and accommodations issues related to handicapped parking spaces, ramps, you know, that's where you normally see these types of claims come up in those environments. But the face mask issues that we've been encountering are giving rise to a whole new area that businesses need to be mindful of. How do we accommodate our customers um, and keep our employees safe at the same time? With that, Katie, I don't know if you've been seeing it, but my social media feed has been blowing up with all Suddenly, everyone's a lawyer and thinks these face mask mandates, particularly when it relates to businesses trying to enforce them, seem to infringe on civil liberties. Is, is there any merit to any of those, those claims that this is somehow infringement on someone's First Amendment rights in any way? Emily, I think that's an interesting issue. And I have seen, too, on social media where plenty of people have addressed what they perceive to be the constitutionality issues or First Amendment issues surrounding the wearing of masks or the requirement to wear masks. Uh, we haven't seen a whole lot of decisions on that just to date, but I do know, um, Emily, and you may want to elaborate on some of the state decisions that we have seen there thus far. Katie, yes, I am happy to uh, address this issue. I know that at least the Tennessee Attorney General has issued an opinion addressing specifically the constitutionality of a face mask mandate. And in that opinion, the uh, Tennessee AG went and laid out kind of well-established U.S. United States Supreme Court precedent going back to 1905 that says in these types of situations when we're dealing with an epidemic, there's very little restraint, you know, that's going to be imposed on the state when, you know, when it's acting to protect the public in this manner. And so the conclusion of that opinion, and I think it's the right one, is that it would not be um, an infringement on uh, the First Amendment rights of individuals to impose a face mask requirement in public. I think a related but maybe a different analysis, Katie, is you know what what do you think comes into play when we start regulating political statements or we're going to start seeing more caricatures and and things that are on face masks? And as an employer, how do we deal with those those issues? Emily, I think those are very timely issues as we are living in an election year and a time where there is social unrest. I don't know about you all listening out there. I, I have seen dump Trump mask. I have seen very political type mask, uh, sports teams mask, characters mask, you name it, it's out there. Well, I have had 
clients have questions about masks that support Black Lives Matter, which of course has gained a lot of media attention in 2020, and whether those masks can be allowed or not allowed in the workplace, whether political masks in support of either presidential candidate can be allowed, you know, cartoon images, what can and can't be allowed and what employers can and can't do. And I think what an employer has to consider in this regard are a couple of things. First of all, obviously, it's EEO, Equal Employment Opportunity Policy, meaning if we wouldn't let somebody wear a t-shirt with a racial slur on it, we're not going to let somebody wear a mask with a racial slur on it. Any kind of statement or depiction on a mask that would violate the EEO policy is something that an employer need not allow and should not allow because that could constitute a violation of that policy and give rise to a potential discrimination claim. The employer should also consider what are the current existing dress code regulations or team wear if it's more of an industrial environment or a manufacturing environment? What kind of regulations are there and how are they enforced? If, for example, the employer has a policy that only, you know, employer-issued team wear with logos and things are the only ones allowed, then that might need to carry over into how masks are enforced. But then the employer may also need to consider the question, are we going to provide masks to ensure uniformity and to ensure non-discrimination and to ensure that everyone does have a mask that can, complies with policy. The key here, though, in, in my humble opinion, is, of course, we can't single any particular type of mask out without being consistent. And what I mean by that is, for example, if, if someone thought that a dump Trump or a Black Lives Matter mask was potentially disruptive to the workplace, we couldn't just single out that one type of mask because that could, in fact, in my mind, give rise to a potential discrimination claim that one particular race or one particular national origin or one particular religion or some other protected characteristic is being favored over another in the workplace. Emily, have you had clients had to deal with those issues and, and how have they dealt with them or how have you thought about this issue? Yeah, I, I certainly think, Katie, that the um, kind of adopt, looking at your existing dress code policies, how do those need to be modified and how are you going to enforce it? And although it, it, you don't want to you know, stifle the ability for people to express their views, I think in most work environments, it's going to be better to have a kind of a uniform policy that just says, listen, it needs to be um, a plain mask. It needs to not have messaging of any type on it unless it's a company logo or something to that effect because then you just avoid getting into the weeds on these issues and having to make different judgment calls, which can lead you into um, facing some type of a, a discrimination claim. We're all dealing with enough right now, just with trying to even get employees to abide by our, our requirements for wearing a face mask. We certainly don't um, need to get into judging whether or not views expressed on face masks are, you know, a violation of policy or might be, um, if we do try to enforce policies, might be getting in, us to an, in, into an issue there. And so for that, you know, why don't we talk a little bit about the issues with accommodating people who are, who are refusing to wear face masks. We are seeing this, um, I know our clients are dealing with it. I know I am seeing it when I go to the grocery store. And so this is something that's becoming a big issue. And given all of the, the changing guidance on COVID-19, 
It's something we need to keep up with. You know, first, let's talk a little bit about the, the situation where you have a customer, you know, coming into your business who, for one reason or another, uh, does not want to wear a face mask. I think, you know, I have certainly seen on the news how these situations have quickly escalated. I think, again, Katie, keeping in mind the political environment we're in right now, tensions are high. In some ways, this, these face masks mandates have become politicized in some ways. And so I think, you know, the, the, my recommendation to my clients has been in these instances, you know, don't confront the, the customer about, you know, the reason why they don't want to wear it. Why don't we try to accommodate them? You know, can we offer them, you know, an alternative? Can we ask them to wait in a car? Can we do a, a, a remote visit if it's a, you know, a, a business that provides services? Is there a way that we can arrange for no contact delivery to meet that individual's needs, you know, those are just possible solutions or offer them some type of alternative like a face shield or something that, that can be used if the reason that they are objecting to wearing the face mask is a medical one. Katie, what have your clients been doing in these situations where you're dealing with customers? Well, they've had to walk a very fine line, as you might imagine, between we don't want to lose a customer, we want to provide excellent customer service, but we've got to protect the safety and health of the remaining customers as well as our employees. And I think that's something important to keep in mind, Emily, is that every employer, regardless of the state, both OSHA on the federal level, but many on the state level, have a duty to protect the health and safety of their employees, what's called a general duty or the general duty clause. And so failure to do that could result in some kind of OSHA liability for the employer not to mention you want to attract other customers or visitors or you know clients into your workplace. And I have had that come up and they have handled it in a way where they're not making a big scene, that they're addressing it privately or personally or in a one-on-one -on -one scenario with the non-compliant customer. They have encouraged them to wear a mask without digging deep into the details of why won't you or arguing or um, getting into some kind of debate about it. And like you've pointed out, Emily, have suggested some alternatives of, for example, a restaurant supply client of coming back at a, a less busy time where there wouldn't be others within six feet in the showroom, trying to provide alternatives that will allow the customer to be served, but also preserve the safety and health of other customers or clients, as well as the employees. Those are all great suggestions. And again, you know, I think the overarching theme with this is, you know, everyone has to be flexible and, and try to get creative with finding solutions here that will work for customers, but also, you know, protect the employees. And, and to your point, we have seen OSHA complaints skyrocket. I believe that trend will continue as more and more people start going back into the workplace and more and more rules that employers are working so hard to put in place on these issues aren't broken. And so let, let's transition and talk a little bit about on the flip side here, what do we do if an employee doesn't want to wear a face mask? You know, how do we respond to that and how do we address it um, as an employer? Again, we're, you know, the main statute we're going to be dealing with here is going to be the Americans with Disabilities Act. You know, which requires us now to, you know, engage in this interactive process with an individual who's identified um, a serious health condition to see whether or not that we can accommodate, you know, the restrictions that are imposed on them, and you know, how how should we go about that? 
I think you bring up a very important point, and I think employers have to be ready not to jump on the bandwagon of, oh, this is just a non-compliant employee who doesn't want to follow the rules. There may very well be medical issues that support the need not to wear a mask or not to wear the particular type of face covering that the employer is mandating for the work environment. Certainly, I think under the ADA and under just good business practices and being a good employer and communicating well with our employees, an employer needs to talk to the employee about the reason or reasons for non-compliance. And of course, that much like the customers we talked about in some kind of retail business or a restaurant or wherever the case may be, I think those conversations need to be conducted in, in a private personal setting so that the employee feels comfortable expressing his or her reasons, particularly if those reasons are in fact medical. And if those reasons are in fact medical, and I have heard that happen, Emily, uh, whether it be asthma um, I have heard a post-traumatic stress disorder preventing an employee from wearing a mask. Then as the employer under the Americans with Disabilities Act, the burden is now on us to engage in the interactive process and identify potential accommodations. That might mean getting a little bit more information, limited information, from the employee's health care provider to determine the need to not wear a mask or an accommodation on the mask or face covering wearing, as well as you know, some suggestions of what the potential from the employee and or her physician, what the accommodations may be. But keep in mind the interactive process is just that and meant to be that under the ADA interactive, meaning we take in information from the employee and perhaps the employee's healthcare provider and we consider that information and talk about possible accommodations and possible solutions with the employee. Thinking about, we've already talked about on this podcast, Emily, the overarching need to protect the health and safety of all of our employees. And certainly that should be considered. And we're going to get into that a bit later, I believe. But what could some accommodations possibly be? Sometimes it seems like it's either you wear it or you don't come. And it's not really as simple as that. Are there alternative face coverings than the one that the employer is providing that would offer the same level of protection and meet the employee's needs or medical needs? That may be something to be considered. Can the employee work remotely? Is the employee in some kind of administrative position or position that could be done from home such that coming to the actual physical work site is not necessary and the face covering would not be required? If, if it's a customer service or a retail type establishment, can the employee be placed in some kind of non-public facing or non-public interacting type position or location for a temporary period of time? Is there some alternative work schedule that would be available for the employee so that he or she is not exposed to or around other employees? So those are, those are just some things to consider. And again, the ADA, as we all know from dealing with it in the normal non-COVID world, um, no one situation is alike. Uh, no one particular process is going, interactive process is going to be the same. And I think we have to keep that in mind in having these discussions. Emily, you know, I've, I've come up with some possible accommodations. And of course, there's not going to be a one size fit, fits all, but 
What do you think an employer should do if an accommodation cannot be found or cannot be identified? That's a great point. And one thing I kind of want to touch on just to kind of piggyback off what you said is the importance here on getting good medical documentation from the employee to support the the requested accommodation. You know, I've gotten, I know my clients have gotten letters from doctors saying this employee has asthma and therefore cannot wear a mask. Well, you know, what, what does that mean? We need to identify the extent of the limitation. What type of face covering can the employee not wear or wear? Is there an alternative form that would be acceptable? And then how long can the employee tolerate wearing a mask? You know, an all or nothing approach doesn't really work um, well in these situations. I have a lot of clients who say, you know, we have, we are socially distant. Everyone is in their offices. We're able to keep people six feet apart. But we need, if someone's going to be in a common area or going to or from a break room or a bathroom or something, you know, an entering or exiting the building, we're going to ask that they wear a face covering during those short periods of time. So I think when you're trying to identify an accommodation that is going to keep an employee working and in, in, in the building, if that's what the job requires, you know, really getting specific on, you know, can they tolerate a face mask for you know, short durations of 10 minutes or less, maybe two two to three times a day. Can they not tolerate it for any length of time? But really asking those providers to get specific in terms of what are the restrictions that are related to the face mask so that you understand it. Provider comes back and says, well, sure, they can wear it, but they can't wear it for more than an hour at a time or more than 30 minutes. You know, I think a lot of employers, just by moving someone to a separate workspace, putting them, positioning them in a special place or using things like plexiglass, might be able to accommodate that medical condition and also keep the surrounding employees safe. Because these face masks, as we've touched on, are really more about protecting others that are in the work environment as opposed to protecting the employee him or herself. So where we, when we have an accommodation or a medical condition where the employee cannot wear any type of mask for any length of time, how do we handle that situation and also still keep others safe based on the current guidance that we have from the CDC and other local state authorities? And it becomes um, a difficult position for the employer, but that may be that case where after going through that interactive process and, and truly drilling down and making sure you understand the restrictions that the employee has, we may have to offer that employee some type of unpaid leave, which can be a form of a reasonable accommodation or potentially reassigning them to a position where maybe remote work is possible. Those are not the first options for this because we want to try to accommodate an employee in a way that's going to keep them on the job but and in their same position. But those are possibilities. Again, the, the accommodation that an employee requests, which in this case is often going to be, I don't want to wear a mask at all, or I can't wear a mask at all, is not necessarily the accommodation that the employer under the ADA has to grant. Because in this specific case with COVID-19, what we know about the, the way that it spreads through community spread and the respiratory droplets, it is perhaps impossible to grant that employee an exception and also still make sure that we are maintaining the, the health and the safety of our other employees. And so there is in those situations, what I hope are very few and far between situations, you know, in the event that we are not able to, to allow that employee to be in the workspace, get into the direct threat analysis under the ADA 
And again, it's a very high burden for an employer to show, but it is an opportunity and an available option, you know, if there's simply no way that the employee can be accommodated, but it should always be considered as a last resort, I think, especially when we're dealing with this specific issue. And the other thing I'll say on that is that we can't draw any assumptions about these. As Katie already called out, and I'll I'll hit this issue again, these are all going to be very case-by-case situations, very fact-specific, and we need to be relying on the medical documentation that's supplied by the employee as opposed to making any assumptions about the condition or the employee's limitations that are caused by the condition on that point. Emily, you have raised so many good points, and I might, without belaboring issues, I want to follow up on a couple of things that you said. First of all, I think this interactive process, I think we would be remiss if we didn't remind everybody that you've got to document that it's happening. Document the conversations, keep the medical documentation that you may be provided by the employee's health care provider, but document that process. Let's hope and cross our fingers that everybody comes out of COVID-19, most of all, safely and healthy. That's our greatest hope for our employees, but also that we, I know employers want to come out without claims, but it's always better to have documentation of that process simply because it can turn into a he said, she said, no, they never asked me that. No, they never asked for my input. They just told me to go home type situation. And we don't want to get into that. And employers have enough on their minds right now. They may not be able to recall six months from now what specific conversations they had with a particular employee about his or her inability to or refusal to wear a face mask. Another issue is you've pointed out very wisely that unpaid leave can be an accommodation under the ADA. You know, that presents a whole other host of issues that we could probably have another podcast about, Emily. But, you know, unpaid leave, the question then becomes for how long? You know, how long is reasonable? How long is unreasonable? And I know with kind of an uncertain future about a vaccine and how long the COVID-19 pandemic expects to be with us and dictate how things are going in our workplaces, I know employers will question how long do I have to provide that unpaid leave. And unfortunately, I think the answer to that question is not very simple. I think different courts have taken different positions about what is reasonable and what's not reasonable for lengths of unpaid leave. And you have to look at multiple factors, including the job at issue, what burden it may be placing on other employees, what kind of production it might affect. Can other people step in and assist? There are multiple things to consider. And that's kind of one of those times I think you're probably going to have to rely on some legal counsel in that regard because it is such a fact-specific case-by-case analysis. One more point I might make is undue hardship. I know A lot of employers know that along with ADA and reasonable accommodation comes the words undue hardship. And unfortunately, sometimes I hear them uttered far too quickly without realizing the burden that it does and the extraordinary burden, I think, that it does place on employers at times, that it's simply not enough to say, ah, you know, this isn't convenient for us to allow uh, Susie to work an alternative schedule because she has asthma and can't wear the face covering that we're requiring for our employees 
And I think that's why the interactive process becomes, and documentation of that process becomes so very important. Emily, before we wrap up, any kind of uh, parting thoughts or pointers and th- or things you think employers ought to remember in these crazy times and in times where we're going to be living with face masks or face coverings for a while? You know, Katie, I think the one thing I'll say on this is, you know, and, and loved your point about documentation. That's always the soapbox that, that we get on because it's the first thing we ask our clients for when, when we get a claim as, you know, well, where's the documentation? And, and if you don't have it, it puts us in a hugely disadvantaged position, you know, when it comes to defending the claim. So I would definitely reiterate that point and encourage everyone to keep good documentation on these issues. And then also just remind people to be flexible, to be creative. We're all exhausted here. And and I know that, you know, certain employees on these issues can be more difficult to deal with than others. For the most part, you know, we need to try to work with folks in these challenging times and I think doing so helps boost morale, helps keep you know, employees happy and, and safe. And in doing so, we also reduce our risk that you're going to have any claims come out on the, the backside of this. So that, those would be my concluding thoughts. <laughs> Emily, I think those are all excellent points. We could keep talking about this for quite some time, but I think that's going to wrap up our podcast for today. And we hope you really found this useful and helpful and practical. That's our goal in this series. Please be on the lookout for future podcast episodes from our labor and employment series on a variety of topics. In addition, just so you know, Burr Foreman has a library of podcasts available on other legal topics like our e-signature series and our weekly Take 5 podcast, which gives you the top five things you need to know each week as it relates to immigration, another very rapidly changing area of the law right now. You can find these podcasts and other information and articles and just information about our firm and our practice at burr.com. That's B-U-R-R.com. Again, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening, and we hope to talk to you soon.